on this episode of Resi Week. Just add power and savant get all close. Journaling Milwaukee has a magical moment at Cedia Business Exchange and Radio Shack goes down. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week episode 58, Game of Inches. This week's episode of Resi Week is brought to you by Middle Atlantic. This is Resi Week. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by Ted Green. He's the editor of strategy.com. How are you, sir? Doing great. If I was doing any better, it'd be illegal. Well, don't do that. That's bad. That'll get you deported these days. Then we have from the West Coast, my good friend, my good pal, Rich Fergosa. He is the founder and principal of Fergosa Design. How are you, sir? Good, Mellow West Coast. Greetings. I actually remembered to put Alexa on mute this time so she doesn't just start answering while I'm talking all over the place. So that good to be good. here. Good that to be back on Resi. It's been, it's been more than a minute. I feel like you've been avoiding me. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm okay about it. I'm just saying. I, I've noticed that. Last but not least, we are joined by Paul Williams. He is the VP of Solutions at Control4. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Matt. Great day here. Well, thanks, y'all, for being here. Let's kick this right off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro. It seems that Just Add Power, the HD over IP giant, is now able to integrate directly with Savant home automation systems. Uh, as you scroll down, you'll see that one of the big features of this is that they've essentially built their own little configurator that allows you to shave hours off your development time and your integration time. Looks super simple. Gentlemen, how big of a deal is this for Savant that they're finally able to do that, uh, Ted? Oh, I think it's probably um, it's probably a bigger deal for Just Add Power. You know, I think some of these, uh, you know, Just Add, Just Add Power is really one of the first uh, video over IP suppliers in the industry, and I think um, you know one of the uh, maybe challenges or one of the um, um, throttles to uh, keeping some people from adopting it was um, its integration with uh, popular control systems. So I think this does a lot for. Uh, just add power. It brings them, uh, you know, one step closer to a lot of uh, integrators that uh, may have avoided them because they are, uh, you know, they are uh, big Savant fans or, uh, you know, or any of the other control companies. So uh, I think it's a smart move. And, uh, you know, I think that this category, the, the uh, uh, video over IP and especially uh, the emerging component of it, which is ultra video, uh, uh, excuse me, ultra HD uh, video over IP, um, you know, it's a hot area and it's growing pretty rapidly. I think you're going to see more of these kinds of uh, uh, integrations and interactions. Rich, because you're able to configure most of this within the just a power system, i.e. you're not trying to do all of that from the, the control system, how important is that uh, because of flexibility? Well, I, I, you know, I think it's... From a flexibility standpoint, I mean, it's, it's, we, we keep talking about it, and, you know, we've talked about convergence for years and years and years and years. I mean, it's, it's 
we're finally starting to see it. Um, you know, it is an IP-based world. It's a packet-based world. You know, the, the legacy connections and the troubleshooting tools that you used to use 20 years ago, um, it, it's going to completely change the nature of how we do it. So, you know, you have your AV integrator um, who's going to be working with it. You have the people who are doing the automation. And I think that we're going to see more and more. It's, it's going to be a matter of um, collaboration between those devices um, and between those technologies that it's gonna require a different skill set from the dealers. Um, in the old days, um, you know, if you were missing, you know, if, if you had the guy with the blue skin on the screen, you knew that you were maybe missing a color, but at least you were getting a signal out there. Now with these IP-based uh, transmission methods, it's past, no pass. There is no flaky image. There is no, uh, uh, you know, kind of ghost or something that you can dial in and go, okay, we're at least close. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a requirement for these manufacturers to be working closer together with one another because we're going to see more and more um, troubleshooting requirements that are going to be outside of the AV side of things. So the faster that we can get these companies talking to one another and working with one another and basically putting together best practices with whoever they're working with. Because again, you can take these devices, you can take them straight to a television. You don't necessarily need a control system. Um, so, so, you know, that fragmentation that we're seeing, um, it, it's going to be something that, um, you know, these, these partnerships and these alliances and everybody, we're working with one another. It's, hopefully it gets us towards moving towards standards. I'm not holding my breath, um, but I see it as at least a step in the right direction. Very good. Paul, obviously you guys at Control4, you know Blackwire fairly well because they were the, the, the guys that put together the software to integrate Ring with your systems. Because this is a, you know, it's, it's just another built-in piece. It's not an add-on. It's not necessarily a module. It's not something that dealers have to move forward and pay for to be able to, you know, utilize this configuration. Is that something that we're going to continue to see a move towards? as far as integrating different pieces across the board? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's been our mantra from day one is that this open ecosystem of having all these products work together um, should come at an extra cost to the develop, to the uh, integrator or to the consumer, <clears throat> because really at the end of the day, they're just looking for solutions. Um, and the fact that you purchased a just add power system, you would expect that it's gonna work with that control system. And that's the way we've uh, continued to work. And you're gonna, like I said, you're gonna see more of that as the, industry continues to move more towards that. And that's somewhere we've been, where you have this open ecosystem we've developed a long time ago. Very good. Let's move on to our next story. This comes to us from Residential Systems and our, uh, our, our good friend of the show, Jeremy Glowacki, his magic moment at Cedia Business Exchange. Now, for anyone who does not know what Cedia Business Exchange is, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, it is a, a quick two-day uh, seminar gathering conference, if you will, uh, where top integrators get together and, you know, really talk about the business of what we do. Um, now, <clears throat> as you read through this, it, it's a great overview of the exchange, which unfortunately this year I wasn't able to attend due to a scheduling conflict. Um, but one of the biggest things that uh, Jeremy talked about in this was that one of the presenters was talking about selling and, and, and how you have to, how you're, you have to change the way that you sell to your clients because, you know, most of our, most of our clients are buying emotionally, 
but they're making decisions intellectually. Rich, keeping on top of this type of information and, and not just resting on the way you've always done business, um, is this something that residential dealers as a rule have trouble with? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sad I missed it. I, I had some projects that I was working on, too. I've had several friends who attended it in past years and uh, have gotten a lot out of it. One of the things that I do want to point out is this is not an invite only. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, uh, um, gathering. So, so there's a lot of power in that. It's not like you have to prove yourself and be in the top, you know, you don't have to be a top 100 dealer to, be, to get the call up to this. Mm -hmm. um, this is an opportunity for anybody who's a member of Cedia to if they couldn't make it to expo if they couldn't necessarily make it to the regionals but more importantly rather than this being the kind of the we get caught up a lot because we we all do come from for more or less a lot of us come back from an engineering background so the gadgetry of getting from point a to point b is something that we, we tend to like it's it's the it's what drew us to this in the first place um, the actual act of running your business, I don't think many people who got in this industry said, God, I can't wait to sit down and go through all my P&Ls. This is going to be awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, don't, I, I can't wait to do all of my comparative analysis, you know, within my market. Um, I can pretty safely say that, you know, not a lot of the smaller dealers wake up in the morning and that's kind of what has their engine running. So I find that something like the, the business exchange is an opportunity to get out of that bubble because it's tough. It, it wears on you. It really does. And the longer you do it, and if you're a smaller company, you know, you've got to grind, you know, you, you get up and you know, you're, you've got several hats that you're wearing and it's very easy for either frustration or apathy to set in. Um, you know, you, you feel like either you're hitting your head against the wall and things aren't quite going the way that they, you want them to, or you've just been running on that treadmill for so long and so long that you just, kind of succumb to, well, things are going to work out the way that they work out. And something like the, the, the business exchange allows you to just literally put a pause on that and go, you are part of a greater industry. You are part of individuals who have significant success and they're all different sizes of organizations. Because the hard part sometimes is, you know, you, you go to some of these larger business conferences and they just don't relate. They don't relate to your business model. Um, and so although intellectually, you know, we all understand the business practices that we should be following. It's hard sometimes to make that emotional um, and, and commitment to your business unless you're around people who are sharing the same problems that you are. So, so again, I, for me, I think it's, it's important. I think any size company should go for that reason because it allows you in a very focused, tight amount of time. Um, you know, it's, it's in San Antonio, so it's a little bit easier to fly into from any part of the country. And, and um, you know, use an intensive to kind of relook at your business. Why are you doing this? Can your business get better? Um, and, and some great ideas. And again, in a non-competitive atmosphere, because everybody's there, you know, working together. Very good. Paul, one of the things that I, I always have, I don't want to say trouble with, but when talking about these types of events with other dealers and, and because obviously you're not a dealer, I wanted to ask you, when dealers are budgeting their year, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're obviously budgeting for marketing, for some training, for, you know, hopefully going to at least one trade show that, that covers their field. They're usually not, especially the owners, the owners are terrible for this, for budgeting for this type of event. Why do we need to change that? 
we've, we've got to change this because business continues to move forward here and it's changing rapidly. The integrator, uh, if you look at the integrator for the last 10 years, it's, it has continued to evolve and change. And if you're not staying on top of the way the integration channel itself is moving, the CI channel is changing, you're, you're going to be left in the dust. And getting some of these earlier indicators from other dealers that, once again, as Rich mentioned, you're not competing directly with. There's this open exchange of ideas and what they're seeing and what the market looks like and what's happening and what is, what's working for them, what's not. That's, that's an important part of, of learning about your business so that you don't get left behind. You don't become a dinosaur that becomes extinct. extinct. Um, and so it, they really need to be thinking about this and, and looking at the changing business as it evolves. Um, you know, if you look at just the, the last five years, the thing that's dramatically changed in the integrator channel, um, IoT devices. We talked about one earlier, video over IP. The technologies are changing, but that also changes the way that you do, you sell and you market and you install and your, and your, your profitability, um, the way you, your cost structures, the employees that you bring in, and that's another thing that's changed dramatically. There's a shrinking availability of resources out there. We hear it from our dealers. We hear it channel-wide. There just aren't a lot of great um, installers or integrators out there that you can bring into your company to help you grow. So these growth strategies in, the, in and of themselves become these huge barriers for those dealers that are looking to take it to the next level. And when you can sit down with a group of your peers and exchange ideas of how did you get through this? How are you growing? How did you find resources? How are you capitalizing your business? Those are all important things that they may not have ever been uh, really had exposure to that this forum and forums like this really give them. Very good. Ted, you've been, you've been in this business a long time. Which is a way to say I'm old, right? <laughs> you, you notice how I paused to make sure I framed that nicely. You, you, you wanted to make sure that point got driven home. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. Just so much, man. let it rest for a second. Um, but no, you, you've been around a long time. You've been involved in this business. We were talking beforehand, you know, some of, some of your background on it. Is this something where, you know, the new wave of dealers, the maybe the sub 40 dealers, sub 45 business owners are more open to actually, you know, looking at the way they're running their business opposed to some of the older guys that were more stagnant. And, and, you know, as Rich and Paul alluded to, we're, are more focused on the nuts and bolts of it opposed to the actual business strategies? Um, good question. I think that, uh, you know, the business exchange um, is a very valuable resource in the industry that's probably a little bit underappreciated. My observation with most integrators is most integrators were drawn to this industry because either they were engineers or they love technology and um, and it's the t I think Rich mentioned this. You know, it's the technology that that uh, that they most are excited about. You know, these integrators love to go to shows to learn about the latest product or the latest technology. But the the sad reality is in our industry is that a lot of times they're not very good businessmen. And you know, uh, they talk about golf being a game of inches. Well, I would have to say running an integration company is a game of inches. Um, there are a million ways. Um, to have you lose profit or drain profits and not even be able to see it on a daily basis. So the business exchange or courses like this, and there are others out there. Mm -hmm. um, there are many integrators that belong to, for example, certain buying groups, whether it be HTSA or ASEAN or ProSource or whatever. Uh, and many of them offer business training. Business training is really, really critical. I mean, the topic that you just mentioned 
which was really sales training. This is another area of weakness for a lot of integrators. Um, they love technology, they know technology, they can spec out a dynamite system, but learning how to sell the, you know, the, that, that last mile connections, the human connection to the client, understanding that they're going to um, make their decision based on the intellectual side of the equation. They're gonna, excuse me, let me scratch that. They're going to shop based on the intellectual uh, um, elements, but they're gonna make the decision to actually push the button and sign on the dotted line from an emotional perspective. That's a very valuable lesson that not a lot of integrators understand. Mm -hmm. And so become a better salesman can have a very serious impact on your pipeline. And um, that's a very good thing. Um, Business Exchange teaches you about how to control costs. They have a lot of really good uh, information or insight. And so these are things that all integrators can, uh, um, can learn from. And, um, and I think that that's where courses like this are, are really valuable. I also want to mention, by the way, um, that I thought Jeremy did a great job in this article, um, the way he wrote this. And I think he's probably one of the finest writers in the business. And that's from a writer. So that's sincere. Um, he gave you a you are there kind of feeling. I felt like I was there. I had to, unfortunately, I had to miss it this year. Um, but he took us there and he took us through the sessions and he tapped into some of the key lessons from the sessions. And um, obviously that doesn't replace actually going there and learning it firsthand. But I thought he did a great job with this article. Um, and he's been a very long supporter, um, both of CD in general and the business exchange specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought it was a great article and I thought it was a great point. Um, integrators need to improve their business skills. And this is one of the best ways, um, the courses like this, to improve your business skills, to be a more successful businessman, to sell more product <laughs> and to be more profitable. So it's all good. Very good. I'm about to come back to you because we've got a article from your website that we're going to next on Radio Shack's second bankruptcy in two years and essentially how yeah, the gadget is done. Um, as you read through this, as always, uh, Ted's got the, the great overview of it. But Ted, I wanted to ask you about one specific thing. Okay. Um, towards the bottom, you, you talk about how Radio Shack is going to close immediately 200 locations and then consider what to do with 1,300 other, other locations, which Sprint says they will probably take some of. Right. What's, and obviously, I, I know you don't necessarily have any more insight than what you wrote about into it, but what else are they going to do with them? Is this just going to get sold off at this point? Um, you know, that comment, uh, we're studying what to do with our other 1,300 locations. I mean, that could just be a come on for, um, you know, somebody to buy them out of bankruptcy or somebody to approach them on these other locations. You know, a lot of times the real estate is one of the most valuable parts of retailers, mm -hmm. especially uh, failing retailers. I can tell you that, uh, you know, rumor is uh, the, the, um, um, gentleman who bought uh, Sears and Kmart, um, a uh, hedge fund guy, uh, what drew him to buy them was their real estate holdings. So that's mm -hmm. often a very valuable part of the whole, the whole enterprise. This was to me a very sad story. This is actually a little bit personal. I studied electronics in high school and, uh, you know, Radio Shack was my resource for the capacitors and resistors I needed for my mm -hmm. breadboard projects. Um, I hate to see this go. 
Um, uh, on the other hand, it's probably a reflection. Uh, that's why I made the comment about the era of the gadget was over. You know, they, they sold a lot of gadgets and they kind of, um, one of their strategies over the years was to focus not on the big AVRs like we were talking about earlier, but to talk, but to focus on um, gadgets and ancillary products. You know, those, those products often have much higher profit margins mm -hmm. and lower level of competition. And Radio Shack had so many locations and they were in so many secondary and tertiary markets. In many cases, they were the only um, outlet uh, um, for communities or anything electronic. Um, so I'm sad to see them go. They were actually involved with my school in supplying electrical uh, in, uh, equipment too. Um, and so that kind of education, you know, they're part of why I'm where I'm at tonight and why I'm in the technology industry. So I hate to see them go, but it's probably a sad reflection of uh, what's happened to our industry. Uh, mm -hmm. instead, of, instead of selling multiple gadgets now, we're all carrying smartphones that do multiple things. And this is one of the um, unintended consequences uh, of the direction of where the industry has been at. So it's, it's, it's sad to see them go, but uh, uh, they never were able to transition into this new world, into this new uh, existence that, uh, that we're all dealing with. And, um, and uh, so, you know, this is the result of that. Very good. Paul, obviously, you know, even throughout the article, uh, Ted mentions, you know, competition from Amazon and, and Alabama and all these other places online. But even myself, two weeks ago, I was stuck being short a DB9 connection to do a small service call. And I'm in the city of 400,000, and we had one independent hole-in-the-wall electronics store that had one that was partially soldered already that he was able to sell me. Now, luckily, it wasn't the pins I needed, so we were good to go. But is this potentially going to cause a rise for those small hole in the wall places that, you know, only the owner knows where everything is because it's a mishmash of stuff because people still need these parts. And again, not the, they don't need the drones. They don't need all the other stuff that Radio Shack got into, but they do need all these other auxiliary miscellaneous bits and pieces. What's a guy to do? Yeah, I think there's a place in the market, and we'll, we'll see how this all ferrets out. I think that their overhead structure, um, they've made some poor decisions. As Ted mentioned, they didn't do a great job of moving into the new economy. Uh, when Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart started carrying all electronic gadgets, they didn't do a good job of transitioning their business to be able to compete. Um, but I, there is a place for that. I mean, uh, it's sad. I'm, I'm sad as Ted is. It was my connector store. Um, this is the place where I went to go get DB9s or to get a stereo jack that I needed and I'd solder it myself and make custom cables, whatever it was. You could go there and you knew they were going to have these odds and ends that you needed right now. I, I don't want to order it from Amazon and get it next day and pay three times as much as the connector costs to get it tomorrow. I want to just go get the dang connector. And mm -hmm. there are a few of those places available today with, with uh, ReadyShack going out. I think there's a niche there and it'd be interesting to see if something fills in those gaps especially in some of these tertiary markets where I don't, I may not have a large electronics retailer where I can get some of these things. Um, someone certainly has got to start filling some of that gap in. I mean, you can go to Fry's and that's a big, but very few locations and they have all that kind of gadgetry and the components there. But I think there's something to be said for that small retailer that's going to have a small, small stock of the things that our integrators use on a daily basis. And I need it now. I didn't plan ahead. Mm -hmm. 
something happened. I went into this job site and this is an old connector. I, I'm certainly not going to carry myself, but I'd love to be able to get it today and finish this job out. Once again, certainly I can get it online, but it, even that, that convenience of that also becomes an inconvenience because I, I still have to wait for shipping to get there. Mm -hmm. So, and until the drone shows up at my house from Amazon and drops it off, I guess I'll, I'll have to do it that way. Rich, where does this leave us as far as mass market? Because with, with Radio Shack going down again, with Best Buy finally maybe, I think, showing a profit right now, sort of. And who is it? Fry's? Is that the only other one that's left? Are we down to Best Buy, Amazon, or wherever else? And then, you know, the the random big box stores, you know, the Costco's or the Sam's clubs or the targets and the Walmart stuff like that, where they're not just electronics or, or, or AV type uh, stores. Is that what we're left with? Uh, yeah. And it's, it's going to continue, but again, you also have to consider the industry and then it'll probably lead into the, one of the other stores if we have it, but it's, it's mobile. It all comes back to mobile. What are these technology stores being replaced by? cell phone stores. <laughs> Why? Because there's a billion of them being sold a year where, you know, television sales are down, AV sales are down. I mean, all of these things in terms of the consumption patterns, it's, it's a natural evolution. It makes me sad. You know, again, I, I same thing as Ted. I mean, anybody I would say, you know, from their late thirties on up, uh, if you're in this industry, you all have a Radio Shack story. There's no way you can't be in this industry at our age <laughs> and not have a Radio Shack story. I remember my first, you know, realistic breadboards and putting those together and I remember having to go and getting DB15s and hand soldering and, you know, and, you know, always, you know, I'd always burn out my solder gun and I'd have to run to the shack and grab another one and burning my fingers on it because it wasn't <laughs> the, best, the best made thing out there, but at least they got the job done. Uh, you know, stockpiling when I found 25 foot cereal cables. I was like, I'll take 10, you know, and I buy them out. Um, so you're old as dirt too. I am as old as dirt. <laughs> I am now, I am now, I am now admitting it. Uh, <laughs> by the same I didn't token, say it. You know, by the same token, you got to remember, this is all the product of the, of the analog sunset. You know, it's, it's, it's taken a decade mm -hmm. for that tsunami wave to finally crest. Um, you know, you don't have BNC connectors anymore. You don't have composite cables anymore. You don't have S-video cables anymore. You don't have all of the different connection standards, well, not it's different connection types that were out there. At this point, you're down to uh, an HDMI connector, a Cat5 or a Cat6 connector. Maybe you keystone it. I mean, how hard is it to find phone cables at this point, right? Um, <laughs> But we wouldn't have thought of this 20 years ago. And, and, and so I view where Radio Shack is going and, and, the, and, and the sad kind of withering of that kind of offshoot hobbyist side of electronics to be very indicative and very sobering for our industry. Because I have a lot of friends who I've done this with uh, for a long time with. And some of them have adapted and have embraced that this change is inevitable. And I have several who didn't adapt and just didn't want to do it. And one of two things have happened to those. Um, they have either gone on to do something else. A couple of them were fortunate enough to kind of retire away from it, but a couple of other ones weren't so lucky. They just, they, they didn't have it in them to make that evolution that Paul was talking about. And those companies are by the wayside. And, you know, I view stories like this as, 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 as a reminder when you're looking at your company to say, hey, 
you know, th this is not going to go back to how it was. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you only got three connectors that you're dealing with now. Uh, you know, I, 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 I feel bad because I, I, you know, my son's six. He's not going to know going into a Radio Shack with me and us picking a project board and building a, a Crystal AM radio. You know, I mean, that was, I remember when I built mine, I was like, that was the coolest thing ever. And I was able to dial it in and, you know, and I did it at about his age. So, you know, th those are the things that I miss. And, and, and it's a large part because of the manufacturing process. You know, you do not have serviceable parts anymore. You know, the answer now for most of our larger consumer electronics companies is the big sticker on it that says, don't even send this to us. We'll just send you another one. Um, and, and, and there's that disposable part of, of society too, that's tough. I mean, it, it goes into a lot of things. So for me, it's sad um, because a large part of my childhood and a large part of what I love and, and what got me into this is, you know, it's the, the bell has finally rung on it. Yeah, you're really seeing the decline of any sort of hobbyist as anything more than just a, a niche market, so. Well, the hobbyist now is, in, is the app maker. You know, mm -hmm. we've moved from the physical um, to, 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 uh, it's all digital. Yeah. It's all digital. It's all digital. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Paul, where can people connect with you? So they can find me at email pwilliams at control4.com. If they want to learn more about control four, they can just find us at control4.com. Very good. Mr. Green, thanks again for being here and giving us a, a story to, to talk about today. Where can people find you? Uh, always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Matt. Um, you can get me pretty much anywhere. Uh, Facebook.com slash Ted Green, Twitter.com slash Ted Green, or my favorite spot, strategy.com, S-T-R-A-T-A hyphen G-E-E.com. Very good. Mr. Fergosa, my pal, where can people connect with you? Uh, you can find me here at AV Nation, either here at Resi, sometimes on AV Week, and also it's uh, State of Control, mm -hmm. which uh, we tend to have an episode every month. Uh, with the illustrious Steve Greenblatt and other cast of characters. Uh, you can also find me at Fragosa Design, which thanks to some needling is uh, being uh, redesigned. We're in the middle of a redesign at this point. So uh, so no longer will you have to see uh, my eulogy to Steve Jobs anymore after five years. So uh, I'm taking my own advice uh, about my social media presence. Uh, but the best way to find me is, uh, is on Twitter, at rfragosa, uh, or type in my name into the Googles or the Internet. And uh, invariably, stuff shows up. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks again uh, to all of you out there for joining us. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much any other social media platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv. You'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows like uh, State of Control that Rich just alluded to that cover all the other verticals that we cover here. While you're on the website, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. We support them, they support us, and we'd like you to support them too. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Resi Week.